Uh, the return, uh, season three. <laughs> it, we went, we went, and we're back, and we're we're back. It's good. been twenty five years. <laughs> it's genuinely feels that way. I'm I'd Autumn, love, and I am Rex. Uh, we're here to talk about music. We are here to talk about music because clearly we don't do that enough anyway. <laughs> I don't talk about music like. I don't know, uh, my life has changed since we last did this podcast, and so I don't listen to as much music, and I don't, certainly don't talk about as much music, which is part of the incentive to bring this podcast back. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I'm in the, like, I don't do culture as much, I think. I don't know. I, I'm in this weird thing of, like, I'm going towards a bit in my life where I will have, like, a full-time job, which is very dry and very academic. It's fun to do mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, yes. So time to do bullshit, but also with feelings and thoughts about it, because it's yeah. important to have feelings and thoughts. Well, we will just like inject your life with bullshit by me bringing a new album every week that sounds exactly like uh, uh, <laughs> fucking either. I will bring another indie folk album every week or I'll bring another throwback 90s rap album that came out in 2020 every week. That's like my entire yeah. taste. So well, and, and then you'll do what you've affectionately described as Reg School, which is an album that's like kind of electronic and very gay. And that's my comfort zone. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll talk about, okay. <laughs> so, the yeah, format we're already of the podcast, owning ourselves. Already owning form- ourselves, yeah. <laughs> the format of the podcast now, uh, you know, if people listened to the old podcast, which was a very long time ago, we were kind of like going in depth on a topic. Now it's going to be much lighter. Um, like, we, we dissected all of Drake's career to that point. Um, we, like, we did, like, a six-hour special about, like, an introduction to dance music that, like, only half of it ever came out because we burned ourselves out on making yeah, it. Yeah, I, I will say that that style of editing is a thing that I am still trying to do. And if you want to <laughs> hear that and you're okay with putting up with or are interested in K-pop, go listen to my other podcast, which is Stan Ontology, which is that podcast, but very specific, very planned, and very, like, edited to hell. Um but about K-pop, and that's gone pretty strong. Um, I but... don't know any K-pop, and that's a very good show that I've listened to two or three episodes of. So Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, a bit more low-key and a bit more just like, hey, what are we listening to? And then doing our actual like interesting thoughts, because we listen to music and have interesting thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I, it's good to stretch these muscles again. Yeah, um, good. So this week I brought in um, the new Phoebe Bridgers album. I'm going to try and burp away from the microphone real quick. <laughs> no, it's not coming. No burp. Okay. Um, <laughs> I brought the new Phoebe Bridgers album Punisher, uh, which just came out like last month, maybe two weeks ago. Time means nothing in COVID-19. Um, and, and I and I picked Moses Sumney's Grey, which is a two-part album, half of which came out in, I think, March, the second half, and the full release in May. Okay, okay. I saw that it was in two parts. I didn't realize that, like, there was a staggered release to that. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it's it's an hour and however many minutes long. It's a, it's a big, beefy thing. Uh, but yeah, it came yeah. out in two halves. But yeah. Um, so, do we want to just jump in? Yeah, I think... Um... I think we talked about this before the official uh, recording started. We're going to do Punisher first because uh, it is very good. And also, like, lighter isn't quite the right word um, because it's dark. But it's lighter in, like, I'm not going to try and explain the gender I have today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, like, sometimes you have a gender and sometimes you have a gender. And those are very different experiences. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. So, should we just like tell me what tell me what Punisher is? What is it?
Yeah, so uh, I'll enter this because I have a I, I have a tattoo that it was inspired by a Phoebe Bridgers song because I listened to uh, her 2017 debut album uh, on a plane once and I cried for 45 minutes and the next week I got a tattoo. <laughs> so that, that's good reason to get a tattoo. I've got to say that was in 2017 and um, since then, like. Phoebe has been very productive. Um, she did an album last year with Connor Oberst. She did an uh, EP the year before with um, Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker. She's been um, featured on other songs. She's been writing songs. She's been touring basically nonstop. Like, I think almost this entire album was written on the road. Um, but, like, as, as a fan, I've been waiting for, like, the follow-up to Stranger in the Alps. I've been waiting for, like, her next solo thing. And, like, here it is. And it's exciting. And it's kind of exactly what I expected it to be. And I still love that thing. <laughs> but yeah, also, I, I was maybe hoping for a little more evolution after hearing the work that she'd done collaboratively with others, I guess fair so like what like what headspace does this put you in like what are the what's the sound world and what's the like emotional world of this because like i'm coming mm. to this without the same like i know my way around indie rock and folk rock and like i have some ideas about where this sits i'm just like interested because you like have such a specific attachment to this so like where is this living in your head yeah so i it's interesting um Phoebe is often um, put in conversation with Bob Dylan, and that is a media thing, and that is, like, uh, her own self talking about, like, being inspired by Bob Dylan. And so, um, Stranger in the Alps is a really good album that sounds music, lyrically, lyrically, like, unmatched, lyrically just, like, one of my favorite albums. Musically, Stranger in the Alps is kind of one note. Um mm -hmm. And so, like, for me, and, and I guess the, the, like, world she's kind of living in is another one of her inspirations is um, Elliot Smith, um, who I think, like, definitely for the first album and also through this album, you can see that through line extremely clearly. Um, and so this album, like, after she's done a couple different sounds as she's collaborated with other people, she's kind of getting back to that Elliot Smith, um, like palm muting the guitars, keeping guitars low in the mix. Um, uh, but also like the guitar is a constant source of rhythm and also like we'll just play three kind of melodic notes and like wander away. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like yeah, it, she's um, just it, inviting you to be in your feelings for 45 minutes. It really, way. really is that. It, it was interesting. I don't know Stranger in the Alps nearly as much. Does it have as much brass as this album does? No. No. Because the, so... the immediate reference I got was like Chicago, uh, sorry, not Chicago, um, Illinois era Siphon Stevens. That like... Yes. That sense yes. of like expansiveness and like, I, I, I know she's California, but she evokes that very like Midwest Americana like expansiveness and epicness that I like very specifically associate with Sufian. And when you say Midwest, um, there is a, she did a performance on, I want to say Jimmy Fallon last year. Um, and at the start of the performance, it flashes on the screen to call a phone number. And it's a, it's a phone number for my hometown, Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> it's a seven, eight, five phone number. I was like, what the fuck? And I, she's played shows there, but like, I don't know why she's telling people to call this Lawrence phone number. Anyway, I, I never called the number. I don't even know what it's for. I just know it's a 785. But yeah, um, like, it's triangulating somewhere between, like, Great Plains slash Chicago slash Nashville. That, like... Yes. All of those, like, aspects of it going between the, like, slide guitar or the occasional bits of banjo or the, like, very classic old-school big country stuff all the way through to, like very like expansive horns filled like shiny shimmery indie rock stuff it's like there, there's like, like a that i thought that might be like a if there was a distinct shift it was in that direction to get a bit more like shiny and a bit more like emotionally yeah. expansive at the top end if not like yeah as opposed to like just sticking in that like very country or very folk rock base i think um like the first 
uh, track on this album, uh, well, the second track, but there's like an intro thing. Anyway, Garden Song, which was the first single from this album, is really like, you could put that in between any two songs on Stranger in the Alps, and I would have just thought that that was a song from that album. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think like Kyoto, Chinese Satellite, um, uh, this, especially that very last song, I Know the End, start to point in this newer bigger direction that I think is really exciting because um, the big thing I want from her is to like evolve the songwriting, evolve the sound. And those start to point to like, she's added brass to like that classic sound. Now let's like keep going in this direction. Cause the brass stuff on this album is like energizing and good and emo as fuck. <laughs> yes. No, so this is exactly it. That like what I realize I'm missing is like the the link I'm missing is that like incredibly in your own feelings like emo mm. rock stuff. Um I was like if I have, I have anything to like nitpick about the albums that like because it's dipping in between what I feel are like a couple of different triangulated sound worlds that like you get um Graceland 2 is the incredibly country one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, and the, there's you, also an incredibly country song on Boy Genius and the album that she did with uh, Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker. And to my knowledge, those are like the only country songs like at all that she's done. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of it on Stranger, but that the country sound was so good and also just like completely like out of left field for me. Yeah. So, so I always... Like I, I sat with this and was like, I'm still not sure what I I've listened to this album a lot over the last week or so. I'm mm-hmm. still not really sure what a Phoebe Bridges sound is like. And like the reason I say this is my point of comparison in terms of like I can bring up other folk or indie rock artists here. Um mm-hmm. so Soccer Mommy is a band that put an album maybe two months, a month ago. That, um, yeah, that sounds right. Similar like second album from a female fronted indie rock project which mm-hmm. like pays a lot of attention to like the emotionality and the lyricism and the and as well as coming from this like very like american drenched indie rock sound mm-hmm. and i just realized that because that band is a band that has three members that are the three members that like play everything it mm-hmm. feels much more like i know what soccer mommy's band sounds like in terms of guitar tones in terms of like arrangement than i know what phoebe bridges or in the other direction big thief because i like, compare everything to big mm-hmm. thief because they're my favorite <laughs> band in the last two years um that like big thief are a band that like have incredibly strong musicality in a way that like like adrian Lyko, who's the front woman like probably could not do the like vocal stuff that phoebe bridges does but like does it incredible different sort of vocal stuff in order to make space and counterpoint it with like extraordinary expressive and like really like particular kinds of instrumental work particularly guitar playing and that mm-hmm. like there is like a specificity to those bands that I like not instantly recognize, but like, uh, like it feels very much like of a piece when you listen to the whole thing. And like Big Thief in particular, like they played the entirety of their last record in live session rather than multi-tracking it. And that like, if there's anything that I didn't get out of this Phoebe Bridges album, it's like knowing what Phoebe Bridges sounds like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, th- I really know what her lyrics are like, and I really know what her songwriting is like, and I like both of those things, and that's more than enough to make this a wonderful album. Yeah, I think um, before we recorded, I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this album, and I think it's also important to note here that like uh, her first solo album, it, like she wrote every song, um, and she wrote about half of them with one other songwriter. Um, and on this album, like, she's on every, she's the writer on every song, but, oh, this person from this band is, like, co-writing this song, and her ex is a co-writer on, like, four songs, and, like, Connor Oberst is a co-writer on this other song, and I think that's part of where the eclecticism comes mm-hmm. in, um, is just, like, different collaborators di- doing different things. She talked a lot about, um, like she recorded this at sound uh the sound city studio and just like oh jackson brown is here today and like i just got his input on like how should i do this chord change or something you know um like i think you can hear i think it sounds eclectic by design in some way or by a product of like how it was uh put together yeah and to be honest that's again kind of fine given again my reference for this being like 
Illinois by Sufjan Stevens. That's a similarly mm-hmm. eclectic album. It's just that like somehow he manages to own that eclecticism by being like post-polyphonic spree, like part of like the, the, it might just be a disjoint between the image of Phoebe Bridges as the singer-songwriter and mm-hmm. and um the the like massive ensemble style stuff that she frequently ends up at, whether that's additional voices or the mm-hmm. massive expansion in terms of instrumentation. So it might just be the like I've got an idea of how singer-songwriter or like singer-songwriter-led bands should work, and this just isn't it because it came out a different way. Yeah, um, it also makes it much easier to pin down how she evolves. Like you, or harder to pin down how she evolves. I think because like you can hear through the first couple Sufjan albums like a direction he's moving in. Um, you brought up Soccer Mommy, and you can hear the first album is lo-fi, and then the second album is, like, more psychedelic, and it feels like, oh, they probably got a better studio and better engineers and kind of always wanted to be doing this psychedelic stuff. Exactly, yeah. Um, whereas, like, I think because she's, like, so much of this work comes out of collaboration for her, um, like, I think that's why it's, like harder to pin down like what her sound is in some way yeah totally are there any little moments you want to like pick out of this album because it's not super long and it's just Mm -hmm. full stuff full of like really well-written songs are there any that like really stick out the back-to-back of chinese satellite and moon song for me is just like unimpeachable just like so fucking good so heart-wrenching um uh, Moon Song's got my favorite lyrical turn, which is "We hate his tears in heaven, but it's sad that her his baby died." Which oh. is like, which um. for me, there are so many obviously great lyrics, but the like, the feeling bad about the way in which you're meant to feel bad about others, and that sort of like, very like, a like internally dark and very, uh, very nasty way of relating to other people's sadness or grief is like a. Oh, that very, very relatable and very, like, ugh, gut-wrenching feeling. Um, I I was going to shout out, like, my favorite lyrical thing on this whole album is from the outro to Moonsong of, you're sick and you're married and you might be dying, but you're holding me like water in your hands. And it's partly from how she sings it, uh, and it's partly from, like, what she's singing, and it's just fucking destroyed me. Yeah. <sighs> Um, I think like, I think when I'm talking about like how she has evolved as a songwriter and how she hasn't evolved as a songwriter, like building to an outro like Moonsong has is exactly what I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. like I feel like on past stuff, it's just been kind of one emotional through line through the whole thing. And, and Moonsong, uh, specifically feels like it's crescendoing, um, and you get, like, I know the end also has a similar crescendo. Um, Garden Song kind of, like, goes up and down in some ways. Like, I think she's figuring that stuff out, which is really exciting for me. Yep. Yep. Um, for me, it's the songwriting bit is Halloween. Um, because I just oh think that, that guitar part is just incredible. Um, and it, it, it's just, like, it's got a certain soundness and darkness that a lot of acoustic folk stuff doesn't have or and i think that's just a result of her like being a great songwriter involving other mm-hmm. great songwriters and figuring out a way around incredible pieces of music mm-hmm. um uh but i just have to shout out that guitar part in particular i was really surprised in fact that like the way the acoustic acoustic instrumentation is produced is like really really dark um like mm-hmm. i don't again mm-hmm. i don't know whether this is a con- continuity with the last album but um a lot of the tracks, like, they are definitely acoustic, but they're placed in, like, ambient spaces or, uh, like, through effects that, like, m- take either filter out all the top end or put it in, like, with, like, slight bits of reverb and ambience that fill out the rest mm-hmm. of the track. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that was just like, yeah, I know other bands obviously do this, and it's not exactly new, and, like, everyone's listened to... I'm, I could name 12 bands that do that sort of, like, spatializing stuff. But it, it just felt mm-hmm. very fresh and very clear and very particular with this because I was so like, I was so ready to expect it to just do the very acoustic album thing. Yeah, and I think um, I was looking at the credits um, for this album, and 
she she does something that I associate a lot with Nico Case albums, which is if you look at like Phoebe's guitar playing credits, it's like, oh, on songs one through th- three, she was playing like a baritone guitar, and on like um, songs five, six, and seven, she was playing like this other type of guitar, and like it's all guitar playing, but like choosing like a different physical instrument that has like a different range or a different tenor, like is really interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, like this is clearly like a quite orchestrated album and it like pulls right into that. Mm-hmm. Oh. Trying to think of anything else um, I want to say. Um, I think I think maybe I've touched on everything I want to touch on for yeah, this album. Kind of same. I'm very happy uh, to leave it there in that case. Yeah. Oh, the, the last thing I guess is. Um, uh, what's the line? What's the line? I'm I'm pulling it up now. It was from one of the singles. Uh, I'm gonna kill you if you don't beat me to it. Is one of my new favorite lines. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that is quite a, an that is quite an autumn line. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, I think we can move on to gray. Um, yeah. I don't have any fucking context for what this is. You sent it to me, and I listened to it, and I liked it a lot, and I didn't Google a damn thing about it, so... So, yeah, I can do that. Songwriter, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist from North Carolina, I think. Splits his time between North Carolina and LA. Um, was sort okay, of, that tracks. That tracks. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of background context, and we'll get into the album. Um, get into it with the album. Um, so yeah, he like blew up as like a background songwriter and pretty sure like 
songwriter, guest vocalist on a bunch of other people's stuff, and then sort of span that out into a solo career. I think like was massively heavily heralded when he was coming through. Um, first album is called Aromanticism. It was 2017. Um, that's an album that I, a lot of people I know love and that I didn't get into because it, it, I just slightly bounced off it. Um, mm-hmm. And then this album sort of came out in two parts, like I said, half in like, I think February or so, yeah, late February and the other part uh, in May. And mm-hmm. I decided to give it uh, like a jump in and it blew me away. And I wanted to talk about it both as a way of like making sure that I, I did the job of like jumping into this album once I'd heard it first and was like really struck by it. And then also just because it's giving me incredible gender feelings among many other, mm-hmm. uh, many other kinds of feelings. Um, in terms of who's mm-hmm. on it, it's very much his songwriting. Um, he's co-written every track. Um, mm-hmm. and then, but then production is sort of dispersed. Both he co-produces everything, but a bunch of people do. So Daniel Lopatin, who is one of Tricks Point Never, or other people might know him as the um, as the guy who did the soundtracks for Good Time and Uncut Gems, the two um, Safdie Brothers oh, films. Huh. Um, he is absolutely like I think unqualified. My favorite electronic musician of the last decade or so. Um, so if I see his name attached to a project, it's always a good sign. James Blake did one of the tracks. Thundercat does a bunch of the bass lines on the tracks. Um, I love that guy. Everyone loves Thundercat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're in a sort of kind of weird space of like, we're not in any one producer's sound world. A lot of this is just like how Moses Sumney writes his tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's long and expansive and goes everywhere from like old school rock through like neo soul, through like acoustic singer songwriter stuff. And, like, I've been really grasping at, like, what reference points are for this album. And that, like, I'm stuck with, like, a very select company of, like, songwriting terms. It's Radiohead. Radiohead I keep coming mm-hmm. back to. Um, In Rainbows and the last album, um, Moonshade Pool, are, like, in terms of orchestration and songwriting, the sort of, like, chords, like, the chord choices and the, the mm-hmm. it's way around. Like, it screams Radiohead at some moments. And then in terms of like tone and mood, it's like, I don't want to say it's in that blonde or a seat at the table space because it's much more put together and much less like fragmentary than those albums. Mm -hmm. But it's very much that sort of like, uh, like long, expansive, set pieced, um, like singular construction. Like this is not an album that suits individual track listening, but... Altogether, it's got this like really noxious, really weird, strange particular mood that very few other things have come close to matching. Yeah, um, it's the way I was definitely put in the mind of Blonde, and I was also put in the mind of um, D'Angelo's record from a couple years ago, Black Messiah. Oh, just that's in, like, a that's a really good show, actually. Yeah, because like this is a lot more electronic, but just like. It is electronic, and also you can feel the, like, soul and funk and jazz. Um, I think once I saw that Thundercat was on this album, like, everything clicked into place of, like, okay, I see how you fit that person into, like, a sound. And it's not the Thundercat sound, but I see how he fits in here, and it kind of gave me the inroad to, like, really start loving this. Um, Yeah. uh, And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, the... Some of the most moving stuff on the album is, like, straight out of the Blonde playbook, which is just, like, um, on boxes and on Before You Go, uh, just, like, having various people just, like, talk and, like, like set a thematic mood that, like, then the lyrics, like, reinforce. Um, like, that is just, you know, the, sa- the same sort of deal, um, but it's even more about gender than blonde is i think yeah. blonde is about being frank ocean and moses sumney is like trying to like grapple with what is patriarchy yeah and so like the metaphor is gray is like gray spelt g-r-a-e compounded i think you call is that an mm. ash i don't know what the letter is but um it's yeah. like it's an in- intently like meant to be exploring the sorts of intermediate spaces and the spaces outside of binary identifications, but also 
binary like systems of morality and binary self-conceptualizations as much as it is like very much it's about gender it's also about the sort of like weird uncomfortable indeterminacy of all sorts of things but yeah but you, yeah, you go you go because i'm thinking through something and i'm not quite there yet <laughs> yeah um i'm just trying to think what's the actual track that references uh morality is gray um uh it's a very opn sounding track so I will try and <laughs> hack my way backwards from knowing which tracks. Having uh, only listened to the album twice, like none of the song names stick out to me really because they do like ble- yeah. bleed one into the other, and like in a way that like I'm a person who has always preferred to listen to an album straight through, and so like that is a the shit that I eat up. Like even in a longer album like this, like the way that, like, one thing becomes the next becomes the next is just my shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the uh, track is Bystanders, the first half of the second, sorry, the first part of the second half of the album, which okay, is, yeah. uh, and it's true that the truth gives you free, but when truth is a breach of degree, dying for praise from the gallery whose morality is grey. And they tie mm. all their stones to your name and they cripple your bones with their shame. Honesty is the most moral way, but morality is grey. So clearly, like, there is a deep, deep connection between the sort of, like, search for desire and recognition, as well Mm. as that that being the, like, body stuff, the embodiment and the gender stuff, as well as the just, like, spiritual and social fulfillment um, that is all about, like, fitting in in this, like, tense, indeterminate, like, sometimes outside of and, like, opposed Mm. to, to recognition and, like, normal possibility so like uh kind of gut-wrenching um that's the verse that is particularly synthy and has these like kind of high whining lines to go with the strings i i have to just try and talk about the production of this album because it's kind of stunning yeah you were right to point out it's it's you're right to point out the blondes thing particularly of like vocal or spoken word performance with minimal instrumentation on it and the progression from conveyor to boxes is might be my favorite bit of the album Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. That my favorite bit of the album might be either conveyor to boxes or just um, the last two songs, "Bless Me" and "Before You Go Back yeah. to Back." Just and and that oh very much goes. That ending very much goes towards the D'Angelo thing of like big. I know this is back into genre form that I recognize and is like blown, exploded it out. I think for me, it might be Polly, mm-hmm. which is like, that's Siegfried. Polly is just Siegfried, but in a different <laughs> incarnation. Um, um, but yeah, it's incredibly simple, incredibly like plaintive, soft guitar track that's got a sort of like sense of weirdness or threat hiding in the background. And again, just like, his voice is incredible and it carries this whole album. Oh my um, God. His voice is stunning. <laughs> and like, you it, can see immediately why he was like held up as this, as this like talent when he was breaking through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's entirely justified. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the, like, uh, the, 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 the like production world, it was mostly, is it co-produced by, um, or at least engineered with half of Sunlux? who was a sort of like post-rocky slash electronica band. Um, Mm -hmm. And I sort of feel that like kind of like moderated version of electronic music, like hang in the background. Like I picked out um, conveyor and boxes, which have this like um, electronic, like chopped vocals thing going on. And, and like, I think that's part of why I'm hearing so much Radiohead because Radiohead do that a lot of the time with this sort of like very, D dance musicified version of electronica um the other part though was the orchestration and there is a vast amount of strings on this album and a vast amount of um the all, all the right oh god so like do you know radiohead much i don't actually know this about you no i i have tried at various times to like radiohead and i think there's just a weird gremlin in my brain that's like opposed to radiohead because like i didn't like them when i was 14 um (laughs) so as a as a 14 year old who very much did like radiohead what i can tell you is i've grown into a person who very vehemently believes that if two people can make the same album and one has like i don't know maybe like experiences of marginalization to inject into their expressiveness and lyricism and Mm -hmm. vocal performance they might actually make a better album and I, that's clearly not a blanket statement. White men make okay albums all the time. 
However, um, this is literally like some of the orchestration beats feel like Johnny Greenwood to a like a genuinely uncanny extent. Um, same with mm-hmm. a bunch of the sort of vocal habits feel extremely Tom York, and not just because it's super falsetto, but some of the like patternings and phrasings, and then also the songwriting itself with the like weird adjusted mode stuff and flattenings and weird chord shifts and modulations that are like unprepared in interesting ways this album like screams radiohead in a way that's very satisfying because it means that i don't need to say that the best instrumental album the indie rock album that i know is like in rainbows because i can point to gray and say it's pretty much just as good but it also (laughs) gives me feelings about like like injustice and gender and social morality and human recognition and you just don't get that from radiohead because they're like Hey man, what what if like you're on drugs, but the drugs made you conform, man? And like, <laughs> I love I love Tom York, but that's pretty much the extent of Radiohead social commentary. This is also reminding me that um, the Radiohead shit that I do really like is um, Johnny Greenwood has done scores for a, a couple Paul Thomas Anderson films, uh, and yeah, yeah. those are impeccable. Johnny Greenwood's scores are impeccable. No one's singing on those scores. No one's saying anything yeah. about. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's not like Radiohead's lyrics ever meant anything in particular, or they did, but they meant something very basic and that you could see through quite transparently. Um, mm. But it's just very good that you can have both of these things. Um, uh, also, 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 and 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 is one of those interlude tracks, which is just. I, mm-hmm. I don't actually know who Ty Selassie is, and I like have seen bits of interviews. Yeah, Ty Selassie, according to Wikipedia, is a British-American writer and photographer. Um, um, so, like, magazine writer, it seems like, as well as photojournalist. And mm-hmm. um, just, like, I insist on my right to be multiple. Um, even more so, I insist upon the recognition of my multiplicity. Um, I really do insist that others recognize my inherent multiplicity... What I no longer do is take pains to explain it or defend it. That is an exhausting, repetitive, and draining project to constantly explain and defend one's multiplicity. And the instrumental like creeps around this with like mm-hmm. jazz flourishes and and saxophone and um like it's slightly dubby in the background. Um, yeah, it's it's like there are ways of doing that sort of emotionality. That ah, I remember one of the. I've, remembering that I actually made notes and was thinking through some of the things that brought up um, King Cruel um, King Cruel's um, The Ooze is a big reference point for me for this kind of like slinky down like uh, like dark version of almost R&B but with a mm-hmm. lot of like dubby influences and a lot of like um, uh, I, if you don't know The Ooze it's kind of hard to uh, Hard to put it together, but like, I'm, I'm putting it on my list for right after we finish recording. Cool. Um, but yeah, um, like the use uh, the King Cruel's like a white dude British um, making albums about like uh, like apathy and social death more than this sort of like explicit stuff about identity and identification. But it just this sort of like headspace of like the manipulation of vocals, the sort of like incredible darkness and like creepiness of the instrumentation. And then also the ability to just like get really raw and explosive at other points in the album. Um, I really love it. Yeah. We talked a little bit last year. Um, when 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 I first heard uh, Hunter Gex, like you and I talked a little bit about like, you know, there is a through line from Gex to Anani to Sophie of like. Sorry, I got to pull you up there. Anoni? Oh. Is, is that who you meant? As in, formerly yes, Anthony yes. Johnson? I've never heard that out loud. <laughs> uh, uh, we, text, we text about her a lot. I've never yes. said her name out loud. <laughs> nice. There we go. Fine. I genuinely wasn't sure, so I needed to clarify. Apologies. Yes. No, you're good. Um, like, the, the specific way of, like, distorting vocals to, like... Um, like, the way that, like, vocal distortion intersects with, like, gender queerness, and it's not, it's net, there's something very distinct from, like, when you hear um, a cis person 
do an album and they like pitch their voice down for one song because it sounds neat to like no i'm i'm digitally altering my voice to change how you perceive my gender to change how you perceive me um i'm gonna be really high here and really low here um like and that's like a thing that i can hear on this album is like like queerness is not just a lyrical attribute of the album but like like you can hear it in how instruments are played and how like vocals like are produced and it's fucking good and um to go back to also also and 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 um like to hear someone a lot of a lot of queer musicians that i listen to uh will do work that is about like um humanizing queer people um especially for a cis audience about like making our experiences relatable to others um or about making work that relates to other queer people um this song is something that i don't hear much which is just an expression of like queer frustration yeah Um, (laughs) which is like i don't want to like I don't want to exist in the same place that cis people do. Like, I, I want to be different, and I don't want you to fucking bug me about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and or want... if, you do, if you do bug me about it, it has to be on terms where you recognize that you haven't captured something that I have. That, like, mm-hmm. there is a failure of language that you, your, like, attempt to enforce something on me will just fail. And I must demonstrate that failure to, to you not only like explicitly in the text but also just the way i embody it in the way that like you cannot pin down th- that i am multiple that i have an inherent multiplicity but that specifically that inherent in multiplicity is inherent not like an affected or adopted thing it's something that is just a deeply integral component of who you are right and and you know this interlude and a couple other parts of the album talk about multiplicity, which is, like, something that I experience that I don't see, like, a lot of queer art talking about. And I know that other queer people experience this, like, multiplicity of, like, who they are, but that is not an easily palatable thing for, like, the cis, oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that is, like, a downplayed part of the narrative. Um, and something that has been very important for me is, like... Um, there is not one narrative of being queer. There are multiple narratives. And, like, I don't think this album uh, has a narrative to it. I think it has, like, feelings and thoughts and, and things it's trying to say. But I, there's not, like, here is what it is like to be <laughs> gay. Yeah. No, like, <sighs> clearly, like, any attempt at, like, sing- like producing something singular out of this album will just fall apart. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's any mistake that, like, one of the most, like, in inverted commas legible tracks, the one that's the most, like, straight up, like, psych rock, maybe, or mm-hmm. the most familiar in sound world is probably Vera, which is one of the signals. Uh, singles. Yep. Yep. But that's the yep. one dealing very aggressively with, like, hegemonic masculinity. It's the one that, mm-hmm. like, has to understand and, and feel its way through masculinity. And, like, that's why it has to start off with, like, super aggressive vocals, like, screamy screamy stabs and like mm-hmm. belts as well as like n- minimal uh affectation sorry effects on the vocals but at the same time he goes in other places where just like no we're in several different octaves or we're in um we're in multiple voices that contradict each other or all those sorts mm-hmm. of all those sorts of things well and like um one of one of my favorite um one of my favorite musicians is Ezra Furman. Um, and she, when she'll write a song like uh, Maraschino Red Dress, um, like it is about her internal feelings toward gender. The thing that was so striking to me about virility is exactly what you said is it is about hegemonic masculinity. It is about not the, it is about like the self, but it is about how the self is like, you know, um, put upon you by like, the state, and I don't mean the state by like as in the government, but I mean like the state as in like Gramsci's understanding of the state <laughs> as like. <laughs> so the, every single podcast I go on to now inevitably will turn into critical theory hour. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if anyone if anyone wants to read Altus's essay about ide- ideological state apparatuses, you're very welcome to. Um. <laughs> um uh. 
we are those I people, those, though. We are those people. I feel like I had another point, but I can't remember it, and I do know that it was, like, disconnected from the point I just made. So uh, if you have something to say while I connect, collect myself, go for it. <laughs> yeah, um... Just the, uh... Do I have another point? Um... This album's fucking good. I'm probably gonna listen to it. Like, I, um... This is just not the sort of album that I would find by myself. Like, this is very much, like... This is also, like, if I was going to teasingly make up an album that I thought would appeal to you, this is the album that I would oh, make up. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> again, we I mentioned right at the start that if we were to joke about stereotyping each other, it would be you are either in the, like, throwback rap or... Yeah. <laughs> female, female singer-songwriter makes an indie folk album. And mm-hmm. I'd definitely be in the sort of, like hinterlands of electronic music about queerness and that like Mm -hmm. this hits all the boxes but the special thing about this is like i know many of these albums that like go full into electronic music and that like i love those albums and they're amazing and like ark has just put out a new album which i am like slowly building up the courage to dive into because they're Mm -hmm. one of she's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite musicians um Mm -hmm. this is special in that it's so clearly song written in a very different way it's like yes um it's like uh, I'm just trying to think through. Uh, it, it's again, it's the Frank Ocean thing of like, you know, you could do abstract nonsense, but also there is like an incredible power to be able to like make things definite for a moment and make it incredibly upfront. And like, Two Dogs is the track that starts off the second half of the album, the part two. Mm-hmm. And that's literally a track that starts with the lyrics, I had two dogs in the summer of 2004. And it's got mm-hmm. this sort of like confessional and like really like apparent quality to it that um very few other things do uh, the track that it reminded me immediately of again because of opn is the iggy pop and opn track for the good time soundtrack called um uh oh uh, I know the, this, the, I the, like the pure iggy and the damn the pure yeah, and the yeah, yeah. that's the one yeah um these sorts of like again i'm very much in the mind of like the last couple tracks on blonde but again, this sort of like very sliding, creepy way of presenting stuff that's incredibly emotionally frank, but also like, like suggests all kinds of interiority. Um, and that like the ability to like balance that sort of level of directness with obfuscation and abstractness is just like really intriguing because it pulls and pushes back all the time from tracks like Virile, from tracks like Bless Me, to Polly, mm-hmm. Two Dogs, that um, like slink around the background and whispers and half-heard voices and broken voices and things like that mm-hmm. um. the um something that's actually i started to think about as you were saying that is that maybe the touch point isn't it is blonde but this album might evoke endless more for yeah. me actually yeah now and that I, i'm thinking about it <laughs> And this is because the bits of Blonde that I really like are the weird and abstract bits and Endless is an album that because it's marginally less accessible in inverted commas that I don't like uh-huh. hold in my heart in the same way as Blonde. But like you're entirely right. I think you're, you've nailed it there. I also like... I haven't... Well, I mean... Endless is not only less accessible in that it is like a little more sonically like out there and weird, but it is also literally less accessible in that you have to have <laughs> Apple Music to hear it. Yes, this um, is an issue. <laughs> um, to the point that I didn't hear it till like 2018 because I wasn't subscribed to Apple Music. Yeah, no, I just got the pirated copy suit on my hard drive because I... Oh, I'm, yeah. what am I going to listen to this evening? And I sit with my Spotify account staring at me and don't pick stuff mm-hmm. that's not right there. And all this, like, you obviously have all those little layers that put between you and the, um, and just the immediacy of knowing and mm-hmm. falling in love with music through just being able to have it right next to you all the, all the time. Right. Um, that I, I do have a, have a, a one, like, little funny moment, which is, Mm-hmm. The, that conveyor boxes that we've kept coming back to um, it extremely put me in mind with the auto-tuned vocals and I don't know what specifically about auto- it might just be auto-tuning spoken words does this it immediately mm-hmm. makes think of the um, um, so when I was 16 I went to the grocery store uh, do you remember this TikTok? <laughs> yes 
It took um, me a second, but yeah, no, it came to me. Yeah, th- that's, I think, the, the, like, I can't separate in my head this, like, I, I, I don't know if there's, like, content to this gag. I don't know if it's just, like, I've, I've remembered a funny and I can leave it there. Or alternatively, well, I mean, there's, like, something about auto-tuning and, like, producing music out of the, like, desperately mundane. Or indeed, like, the fact that it's, like, approximating gospel, almost, is, like, uh, a genuinely, like, interesting thing out of it. Well, and, um, there's another thing here, which is that, like, um, to go back to Gex very briefly, Mm. listening to Gex is, like, this constant experience of, like, did I hear this in a TikTok one time? (laughs) Like, um, like, Gex is like, that sounds like some melody I heard on an album, like a Sum 41 album. Like, what the fuck? Um, and and Gex, um, is so clearly, like, just mashing together every single song they've ever heard. Um, Or at least the good ones, that they've managed to figure (laughs) out which Sum 41 tracks are really good and which, like, Simple Plan tracks are really bad, and picking the good ones and making (laughs) new versions of all of them. Right. Um, And and something we haven't talked about at all, because I think, you know, it's a little bit straying out of our lane, but this has some of a similar quality of um, mashing up, like, all these different things, except the difference is that Boza Sumney is black and 100 yeah. Gex is, like, as white as it gets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's, like, something about, like, the idea that there is, like, cultural detritus out there, just, like, the day-to-day mm-hmm. bullshit that people deal with, but also the sort of, like, way people have talked about it and reconceived it for themselves, because he's drawing just as much from, um... Uh... Who did I say did the vocal cuts for um, uh, Ty Selassie? Drawing just as much from Ty Selassie as like Ezra Miller, who is like extremely white, but also like genderqueer or non-conforming in presentation and things like that. But that like picking out random like scraps from very specifically like I think the music tells the story of its blackness really mm-hmm. clearly and that like yes the the way to do this is through like dub and jazz and psych psych um like psych soul stuff um mm-hmm. and gospel and like i say you veering towards classic rock not because classic rock is white but very specifically because it's like a very deeply black art form and like like right. there's like a, a bluesy soul and and um bluesy and soul core to this album that just like that's where the songwriting is drawing from as much as it is. Like, I'm hearing all the inflection from Radiohead, but the core of this album's just got like far more groove than that. It's just like far more, right, like, right. far more like propulsion to that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's part of why I picked up on like Black Messiah vibes because I think there are moments where Black Messiah functions as like a history of black music in one album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or black music in America specifically. In yeah, the US. and um, well, like one in one fraction of one trajectory through it, at the very very least. And yeah, that like you can hear the like story of in that album. It's like Prince is hanging in the background of every track in different mm-hmm. guises and in different eras, though. And in this, God, I'm, I hadn't thought about Prince, but there's a lot of Prince in most yeah. of Sumney. Huh? Again, it's <laughs> the, the the voice helps, but like again, it's the like yeah. clearly there isn't the same like heritage in disco or um, mm-hmm. funk, uh, but mm-hmm. like the soul and the psych soul stuff and the like weirdness and the way that that inflects pop music is 100 percent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, good album good fucking album oh yeah I think a point I like got halfway through a long time ago was I, just that like this is not an album that I would have ever picked up because it is out of my wheelhouse but I can absolutely see myself just like I'm probably going to spend another week with this after we record you know? yeah yeah and I, I've um, been sitting with good. this sitting with this album for two weeks now get, get, mm-hmm. getting on for two weeks and just like slamming it into my ears because it's it's that good it's fucking good um Um, i feel like we've been going for two hours but apparently it's only one (laughs) yeah no really we've done all right on this one um turns out if you don't stop and pause and try and make references to 50 different things or at least (laughs) don't promise to actually listen to all of them you don't record for two hours um Mm -hmm. but um do we want to leave it there yeah um where can people find you online you can find me at regression with three s's on twitter 
um, you will find there links to my other podcast at or Stan Ontology, which you can also find at Stan Ontology. You can find me on Twitter at uh, autumnal underscore coffee. I do this podcast. Um, just yesterday I recorded And Then an Aeroplane, a podcast where my friend Em and I watch uh, Studio Ghibli movies. Um, if you want to watch a movie about Cat TF, you can watch The Cat Returns, which we just recorded about. Yeah, you um, did just change your profile picture and I like to a person. There's, there's just Cat TF in the movie. It's great. <laughs> Is it literally a person touching their ears and being like, ah, oh, these are definitely paws and they're definitely touching ears that I've just obtained? Yeah, no. So that, That's incredibly good. She's a, she, it's like an Alice in Wonderland situation and when she gets to Wonderland, like she gets there and she's like putting on this dress and she's just like, and they're like, oh, well, you're already half cat. And she's like, what? And she like, it cuts back to her and she's just a cat now. And this is the very first shot of her realizing she's a cat. It's great. Blessed. <laughs> Blessed. Wonderful. <laughs> You can also find me on Export Audio, a podcast that I do with my fiance Nora Blake, uh, where we talk about bullshit. They just put the Hamilton movie on Disney Plus, so we're probably going to torture ourselves and watch that. I am so glad. Uh, um, can I? I I'll say as a little bonus extra thing. I saw mm-hmm. Hamilton as a production when it was in London. Um, mm-hmm. I my thoughts overriding it were um, the performance itself was very good, very competent, but left me kind of cold. I wish mm. the rapping were technically better because I've grown up on a diet of like Kendrick Lamar and Vince Staples. Um, mm. <laughs> and that just as communicative as the thing on stage was the fact that this was um, a crowd that knew all the words and repeated them back to all the songs, as mm-hmm. well as mm-hmm. absolutely the worst theatre experience I've ever had in terms of like seat density. I could not actually get my knees between me and the seat in front of me. Um, bathrooms and accessibility like that communicated just as much as all the other bits of the theater uh of the the production um so i'm excited to see what version of this you get what like what the actual experience of seeing it is like divorced from like having to be crammed in like the industrial money making machine of a theater but also like as someone who's also a rap fan so well i Listen, we'll probably talk about it on the podcast. I don't need to get into my uh-huh. dumb history with liking this musical and then not liking this musical. Um, <laughs> I'm excited, uh, though. I hope it makes for a good podcast. It it probably will, or if it doesn't, we'll just talk about Mega Man. Um, <laughs> good substitute. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we... Do you have any idea what album you might want to do next week? I haven't. I've, I've realized that I need to give it some thought, and I haven't get, got an obvious one yet, other than the yeah. other album I thought about for this, which I'm not going to say what it was, because it's so like the Moses Sumney album, you'd laugh at me. Uh, I mean, my thought... My thought was um, the Fiona Apple record, which I have spent Ooh. approximately ten, 10 minutes with and like a lot. But I also, um, Pitchfork gave it a 10 out of 10, and I kind of <laughs> am resistant to, like, no one needs to hear us talk about the the Fiona album. I can, like, find someone more obscure, or I can find, like, something that I'll have a better angle on. Um, that album, the first two tracks are good. I don't know. Yeah, Fiona Apple is one of those people who I was, like, desperately confused why she was on all the end-of-decade lists a few years ago and then she got a 10 out of 10 for the latest album and i'm still bemused because i do not understand why people think she's incredible even though that like she should be 100 in my wheelhouse i haven't this is one that i've not grokked yeah i mean that's how i felt about big thief until like their last album <laughs> Fair. So. No, that, that, no that's understandable um I'll just bring a crow looked at me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that to me. Uh, at some point, we, we're going to get to a stage where we can't bring all the albums we really love, otherwise we'll call each other, like, well, sorry, we're going to cause each other humanity harm. Yeah, I'll, br- I'll bring Carrie and Lowell, and <laughs> we'll just hit a part of the podcast where I'm weeping. because Not, I, that's... not, not verbal, just like, I mean, consolable. Oh, I know what I want to do. I've got a pick. Okay. The, okay. New, the new Lady Gaga album. That's an easy one, actually. Okay. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Um, yeah. Um, 
Oh, there's a new Speedy Ortiz album? I don't know if we're going to pick that, but that's cool. There's not a new Speedy Ortiz album. I've mixed up. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll pick something. But we'll do Lady Gaga and whatever I pick. I will tweet about it so that listeners of the podcast know what it is. Um, Excellent. Hey, listeners. It's Autumn coming at you from the editing booth just to say that uh, since we recorded, I have picked out um, the new Thundercat album, which I definitely know the name of. I'm not Googling it. The typing sounds you hear are not. Shut the fuck up. You shut up. Uh, it is what it is. The new Thundercat album uh, from 2020. Um, it's only like 40 minutes, so it's going to be a pretty light pick. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, back to the episode. Yeah. Oh, they put out another Pop Smoke album, which... Oh god! Have you seen the 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 Virgil Abloh art crisis? No. Um, I've got to show you this pop smoke art. Um, this is uh, this is the first link that I discovered, but it's got the art front and center. Um, this is what Virgil Abloh handed back as the artwork for the new pop smoke album and that's literally something you could make in photoshop in about 90 seconds yeah yeah this would be a perfectly fine um album cover for his like if this was just the next mixtape he was putting out this would be fine but like mm, we can do a little better than this yeah, uh, and reminded that, well, again, this is Virgil Abloh, like, grift. Well, I'm not going to say grifter, but, like, you know, the, we, we have seen what Virgil Abloh has been doing with his time and money over the last two months. Okay, I, I'm not familiar with Virgil Abloh, so I'm going to Google Oh, him, God, but... are you not? Um, Virgil Abloh no. is, like, what is his actual job title? He's the artistic director of Louis Vuitton. He is, like, sort of Kanye parallel fashion person. Um, he, it, like, there is now a meme going around on Twitter, which mean which is $50 is an Abloh, because Virgil Abloh, with being the, the creative director of Louis Vuitton, donated exactly $50 to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, <laughs> um he... Uh, Pop Smoke was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get Black Starlock on Virgil Abloh to design my album cover, and then he handed back a thing that people are now, like, doing TikToks about speedrunning the creation of. So, um, <laughs> that's the vibe of Virgil Abloh. I'm looking at, um, uh, I'm looking at, like, this complex article that went up yesterday of, like, album covers he did, and there's, like, there's some classics here. Yeah. Uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy, uh, Long Live ASAP, um, like, I really like this um, Pray for Paris one that he did for West Side Gun earlier this year. But yeah, Pop Smoke died. You can't do him dirty like this. No. no that's just not allowed. <laughs> you cannot do this. It's okay if you spend 20 minutes making the West Side Gun album art because he's going to make another album in that 20 minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or, in, or anyway. indeed the, like... There, there is a kind of thing that like fits a tone and got whatever. Yeah, you, you know what I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Oh yep. my god. Read the fucking room, Virgil Abloh. Christ. Okay, this All podcast right. is over. This podcast <laughs> is over. Um, we'll catch you ne- next time. Well, are we doing this next week? Shit, are we doing this next week? Um, I don't have my phone on me, so I don't know what my work schedule is. I still haven't got that second COVID test back yet, so uh, like I don't even know when I'm going back to work. Um, uh-huh. But well, I don't have COVID, probably. So. That is one to figure out. Um, but yeah, let me know. Yeah, we'll figure I, it out. I'm pressing uh, stop records before I start saying more dumb things about the podcast. Yeah, do we have a sign-off for the podcast? Catch some hot singles in your area?